uh, it's wonderful to be with you at C3 uh, today. And uh, welcome to those of you in the room. Uh, welcome to those of you who are watching us online as well. It's great that you're joining us. And uh, I want to bring a message that fits into this series, the book that's changed the world. We're focusing on uh, this extraordinary library of writings, the Bible, that has transformed our world. I want to slightly amend uh, your series title, if that's not rude. I want to take it from the past tense to the present tense, amen? The book that is changing our world. I've just been uh, overseas, um, and I was in a conference of leaders from across the Middle East, and I was hearing one story after another of the extraordinary pulsating power of these pages of the Scripture translated into many languages around the world and transforming people's lives. This is the book that is changing our world right now. There is a refugee crisis going on in the Middle East. We've heard about that, and that remains an absolute human catastrophe. And yet, in the midst of the catastrophe, this is the book that is changing our world. The, the, these leaders were saying that as they have been helping refugees, one leader said something, I found it deeply moving. He said they had a whole load of refugees and they managed to get supplies of clothes. These people have almost nothing to wear. They're in rags. And um, they, they made this pile of clothes, but they also managed to get some Bibles. So they had a pile of new clothes, and they had a pile of Bibles. And when they opened the door, there was a stampede for the Bibles. Wow. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I, I don't know if you are stampeding towards your Bible, but in the Middle East, there is this hunger for a book that has some meaning and hope in a world that is broken and hurting. And this is the book, then, that is changing our world. I spoke with another guy who, uh, he, he, in the daytime, he has a sort of printing press uh, that he runs with his friend, and they print various uh, novels and publications. But this is in a country where it's very, very dangerous to be a Christian. You're not allowed to own a Bible. And he gets up in the middle of the night when everyone else is asleep, and he's secretly printing Bibles. Because there are so many people having visions from Jesus uh, telling them that they need to go and read his book. And they're coming and saying, where can we get this book? And there aren't any of them. So he's up in the night printing the book that's changing the world. Amen. So it has changed our world, and it is changing our world. And when we allow it to, it can change our lives as well. And this isn't just a Middle East thing. This is a Western thing as well. This book has shaped Western civilization in ways that most of us have no idea about. The very language I'm articulating to you right now has been so predominantly influenced by the English Bible. The culture and civilization in which we live has been shaped by the Bible. And in a moment, a cultural moment that we're in, where there is a general turning away from the Bible, many people are realizing that when we turn away from the Bible, we step into emptiness. And it's all superficial and vacuous when we don't have the depth that this book gives to life and meaning. I, I, you may have come across the rather controversial clinical psychologist, Dr. Jordan Peterson. And um, he was, I think, in Cambridge uh, recently. Well, he, he was in Cambridge. I know he was in Cambridge because I, I met him, actually, uh, in one of the colleges here. He did a private sort of uh, event. And I had an interesting conversation with him. And he's been teaching Genesis online. Uh, about 10 million people have downloaded his opening lecture on Genesis. Isn't that extraordinary? There's still an appetite for some depth in a culture that is so superficial. And uh, he has a quote, which I think you can see on the screen here. Jordan Peterson um, says this regarding Genesis. These great stories are part of the substructure of our society. In my experience, the farther I delve into them, 
the deeper they get. Just when I think I've got to the bottom, I realize there is no bottom. They outlast kingdoms and civilizations. They have a life of their own. This is the book that has and is changing our world. And we need to be those who, uh, and this is the title of the message today, we need to be those who let the lion loose. Okay, that's the title of the message. Let the lion loose, releasing the power of the Bible in our lives. And uh, this idea that the Bible is like a lion is a nice analogy. If you've ever seen a lion in the wild, maybe on safari, you'll realize that a lion is not a domesticated cat. It is a roaring beast, and you don't need to look after it. It can take care of itself, right? And this is the idea of famous London preacher, Charles Spurgeon, uh, used this idea in the 19th century. He said, the Bible is like a lion. Who ever heard of defending a lion? Just let it loose, and it will defend itself. So I want to, in the middle of this fantastic series you're in, where you're looking at the landscape of the Bible from a high-altitude vision, I want to bring a message that's saying, so as we pause from the Old Testament and move into the New Testament, how can we practically release the power of this lion into our lives today? The book that is changing our world, how can it change our lives today? Does that sound okay? So let the lion loose then in our own lives. And I want to use a passage that, um, or a story that's found uh, um, conveniently just at the end of the Old Testament. So it's a nice transitional moment for this series. And it's the story of Josiah, King Josiah. You can read about it in Two Kings. You can read about it in Two Chronicles. You may have noticed with the Bible, sometimes there's one historical event and then there's two or three or four different writings that reflect on it. So there's the one life of Jesus, and then there's four Gospels that reflect on it. Well, in the case of Josiah, there was one historical event and two re- accounts that reflect on it. One in two Kings, and the other in two Chronicles. And uh, I want to put the, the text in a context first, because I always find that makes a lot more sense. Um, and one of my favorite little phrases is, if you take a text out of context, you're left with a con. <laughs> Think about that. If you take a text out of context, you're left with a con. So I always encourage us as we're reading the Bible, put the text in its context. And one of the ways to do that is to think, how does this story, Josiah, fit within the larger narrative of the Bible? And there's a visual here on the screen that you can see that features in the Bible course. This is a course that I think you're starting uh, this coming week, so you could sign up for this eight-session course. It takes you on a tour through this storyline of the Bible. And you can see here down this end, uh, the tree of life on the end. God made the world good. And as things turn bad, there's this idea of the fall. Captured here is Israel. The storyline goes down to Egypt through Joseph and his technicolor dream coat. Israel's taken down to Egypt where for 400 years they're enslaved before God steps in through the Exodus and brings them out. And then Joshua leads them into the promised land. Now then there's these cycles. Have you ever read the book of Judges? Israel is stuck in negative cycles, and uh, sometimes we can find ourselves in that place too. So God appoints kings, his anointed servants, and most notably David, to bring peace and hope back to Israel's story. And then there's this moment of division. You can see here, the southern kingdom continues, but there's this breakaway. The northern kingdom, the ten tribes break away, and they end in a dead end in 722 BC there, destroyed by the Assyrians. And so the southern kingdom now continues. You've got a sort of split story. There's kings up north and kings down south, prophets up north, prophets down south. And as our story continues in the southern kingdom, we reach the story of Josiah, right? So there's Josiah. 
in the larger story of the Bible. After him, you will notice, the storyline goes up as Israel is led away in exile to Babylon. They're enslaved for 70 years before they return, and they rebuild through Nehemiah, and then they wait for the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who you will pick up on next Sunday. Is that helpful? There you go. There's the vision, right? I, I, I put this together because I'm a visual learner. Anyone else? And if I can't see it, I can't get it, right? But when it comes to the Bible, it's all very big and confusing. But if you can just see it, then you begin to get it. And you can take any text or character, put it in its context, and like, oh, that makes sense. And that's what the Bible course can do for you. Well, anyway, Josiah, 620 BC, is in this difficult moment in Israel's history, right? It's a dark time in their cultural story. And uh, his, fa- his grandfather was called Manasseh. If you know anything about the Bible, that's a bad word, right? Manasseh was the worst king in Israel's history, a complete disaster spiritually. That's Josiah's grandfather. Josiah's father was assassinated when he was eight years of age. Now, that's a pretty tough start when you're eight, right? You're in primary school. You're still learning how to floss, um, which is, is not as easy as I make it look. And, um, and your father's assassinated, and you're made king. Now, here's my point. You would not expect anything positive to come from the life of Josiah. You would expect it to say something like, and Josiah did evil in the eyes of the Lord like his father and his grandfather, and then he died. But here's the the thing. The introduction of the word of God is a game changer. What's going to happen to the story of Josiah is one simple thing. They're going to discover the Bible. And when the Bible is put back at the center of Josiah's life and of the nation, it is a game changer. And I want to say to those of us here and listening online, it may be that your story is not going very well, right? The Bible can be a game changer in your story. If you will center your, word, your life on the truth of God's word and meet Jesus Christ, the living word, through these pages, the Bible can change the direction of your story. It was true for Josiah, and it's true in our day today, because this is the book that changes the world. Well, Josiah uh, is a story of three scenes, and the the first one is scene one, is that the Bible has been hidden backstage in Israel, and so I want to address some of the challenges we face in engaging with the Bible today. It's easy for us to own a copy of the Bible, but not actually engage in a meaningful way with it, and that was what was happening in Josiah's story. So we're going to read the first reading from scripture. This is from two kings. Follow it on the screen if that's easier because I've just chosen a few of the key verses. Uh, The context is that they are doing some building work on the temple and then we read this. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary informed King Josiah, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. They've just discovered, basically, their version of the Bible, right? It's an extraordinary moment in Israel's history, firstly because they lost it, and now they rediscover it. This was probably the book of Deuteronomy, and for some unknown reason, we don't know the detail on this, it was in the temple, but it had been buried out of sight, And I think this is almost a prophetic story for the church in the West today. We still have the Bible, right? I mean, we've never had so many texts of it. We're not up in the night printing it. We're not scrambling for it instead of clothes. We've got hundreds of these. And if you haven't got one in your hands, you can turn it on on your phone, right? We've got the text, 
but it has been buried under so many other distractions and priorities that it's almost, for some of us in our lives, lost out of sight. The Bible is so easily edged backstage in our story because there's so many other competing noise in our lives. Is this resonating with anyone? We know it's God's word, and yet we, it's dormant, practically, in our experience because, well, because it's very easy to drift away from the Bible in the moment in which we live. Notice then, please, they didn't reject the Bible. They still had it in the temple. But they, they didn't reject it, but they neglected it until it was lost from center stage. And I think in our cultural moment, it's a very challenging time to stay rooted and connected to the Bible. Some of the challenges include secularism. This is an intellectual challenge. There's a narrative that's pervasive in our education and in our media, which basically says, we are a progressive society. This is a regressive book. This takes us backwards. We need to move forwards. In other words, we used to have the Bible when we didn't really understand the world in the dark ages. We used to believe in things like this. But now we're so enlightened. Now we have science and technology and Wikipedia, right? We don't need the Bible anymore. This takes us backwards. We're progressive moving forwards. Secularism is a narrative that can erode our confidence in the Bible and leave us almost wondering, is it possible to be a sensible, progressive, sophisticated, intelligent person and actually believe in the Bible? Listen, I want to say to you, I mean, I spend a lot of my time in the university, and actually the truth is there is some very, very good scholarship right here in Cambridge, right under our noses. There's some fantastic scholarship being done that is demonstrating. I particularly commend Tyndale House to you, if you know this wonderful institution. But the scholars there are demonstrating both to the New Testament and now particularly with the Old Testament that this text is highly reliable and its message is credible. And actually, far from being regressive, this is the text that can help us flourish in the world as human beings. So don't believe the secular lie, but the truth is, it does impact our confidence in the Bible. And if it's not secularism, then how about the challenge of consumerism? And I mean particularly digital consumerism. We may have all confidence in the Bible, but there's a lot of interesting things on our phones right now. <laughs> so we, we believe in this, but we're entertained by this, right? And this is a big challenge, isn't it? How many of us have... Uh, Great intentions when it comes to engaging with the Bible, but there's also Netflix and YouTube and other distractions. And it's not that we're denying the Bible, we're just distracting ourselves to death with other forms of noise and communication that scatter our minds and erode our engagement with the text. How many of us have watched, and I'm not, I'm not a dinosaur, right? I don't live in the woods. I have a TV. Actually, I don't have a TV anymore. Does anyone have TVs these days? We, have, we watch things on our phone and our computers, right? But we have a Netflix account, and I like watching some things occasionally. But how many of us have sat down to watch one episode, right? You know where this is going. And at the end of that one episode, the little counter in the corner, next episode starting, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, it's like, oh, well, it started. We might as well, uh, you know, we were going to do something more positive, but let's watch another Poldark, right? I mean, it's on now. It's on now. Um, and and, and the, the chasing around after empty vanities is part of the distracted noise in our cultural moment. Whether that's social media or mainstream media, we live in a time where it's hard to stay centered on the Word of God. And so I want to encourage us towards a disciplined decision today 
God, where the Bible has drifted backstage in my life, today I want to put it center stage. At the start of this new term, I decide that I will not be distracted away from your word, but I will put your word with confidence at the center of my life, and if you have one, my family, that we might be a people, whatever culture is doing, we might be a people who build our lives on scripture. Amen? Well, when Josiah realized that this had happened, he tore his robes. And that is, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, a prophetic sign of grief and of repentance. And the sound of clothes tearing is an arresting sound anyway, isn't it? Especially if it's your clothes that are tearing. But the point is that sound is a sound that says, this must change. So Josiah then does something to ensure, it's not enough just to hear it and say, amen, we've got to do something to insist on the change. And uh, this is where we move to scene two. The Bible now center stage. So it's been backstage. Now Josiah moves to put the Bible center stage, building our lives around the Bible. And uh, as we look at this, there are three things I want to reflect on from the story of Josiah that I think if you want to ask the question, what does it mean to put the Bible center stage in our lives and in our families today? Three things, and you can see them on this visual here. Firstly, we need to read it most obviously. Then we need to grasp it. What does it actually mean and how that's going to apply to my life? And then we actually have to obey it. We have to put into practice what God's word is saying. Read it, grasp it, and obey it. So let's say a few things about each of these. Firstly, read it. Josiah calls an assembly of all of God's people, and there they read God's word. So let's read together from 2 Kings 23. Uh, We read this, Then this is Josiah taking action to put the Bible center stage. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, listen to this, all the people, from the least to the greatest. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. Notice then, Josiah gets everyone together, Please notice this phrase, from the least to the greatest. He could so easily have said, well, the Bible's complicated and a little bit outdated, so let's get the scribes and the ordained leaders together. So long as they understand the Bible, that should be enough. No, no, no. From the least to the greatest. There is a principle here that the Bible is to be read and engaged with by every single person. This is not written by intelligent, clever people and for intelligent, clever people, right? It's not written by people who are all ordained and trained for the ordained and trained. This is written by ordinary people and for ordinary people. And blood has been spilt in this nation of ours to ensure that we have a a translation of the text that makes sense to ordinary people. You think of William Tyndale, who was a brilliant scholar, worked, not least, invited to a very prestigious seat here in Cambridge University, and he refused it because he was too committed to a project, which was to translate the Bible from Latin, which only some of the clergy could read, this is 500 years ago now, to get the Bible back into the hands of ordinary English people. There's a famous quote. He said this to a a clergyman uh, who was opposing his work of translation. He said, I will cause it that the boy that drives the plow will know the scriptures better than you do. What a brilliant, defiant statement, right? The boy that drives the plow, from the least to the greatest, you will all have access to this text. 
And I want to say a word to the greatest. If you are a very intelligent, elite, you're someone with a, lot of, a great CV and a lot of opportunities, just because of your greatness does not mean you can neglect God's word. Your intelligence and skill and expertise is no substitute for what you will find in these pages. So don't let arrogance cause you to neglect the truth of God's word, or else you will, in climbing terms, I like mountain climbing, one of the things we fear as mountain climbers are cornices. It means that the snow has drifted over the edge of the cliff, and you can walk out on a cornice only so far, and then it collapses underneath your weight because it wasn't solid underneath your feet. And some of us, if we're not careful, because of our worldly opportunity, we progress beyond where it's safe to go. And we erode, there is an erosion of depth in our lives because of all the things we're chasing in the world and our greatness becomes our downfall. So from the greatest, you need to engage with God's word. But also to the least, if you feel, I'm, I'm, just, not, I'm just not clever enough. I just don't have the level of intelligence or education. Look, the Bible does not open itself to IQ. Can I say that again? I think that needs to be announced loud and clear in this city, don't you? The Bible does not open itself to IQ. Okay? The Bible is for the least to the greatest, and the Holy Spirit is the one who brings understanding. So I want to encourage us to build into our lives the discipline of reading God's word. And in praying, just you know, you don't need intelligence, you need the Lord's help. And you can ask for that, and he will help you as you read his word. And so I want to encourage us to build in the disciplines and the practices that lead us in that direction. I don't know what that means for you. For, for us in our household, it looks something like this. Um, and we're not experts and we don't get it right every day by any means. But most mornings, uh, my wife and I, will, one of us will make a cup of tea for both of us and we will read the Bible together. We tend to use the Bible in One Year app, actually, which we find really helpful. You can download that for free and it has a lot of reading and a lot of reflections on the Bible. Sometimes we just do the Old Testament bit or the New Testament bit. We're not perfect, right? But we start the day in God's word and in prayer as a couple. And we found for our marriage that does us a lot of good. Then we sit at the breakfast table with our kids and with our children, we've got three kids, we're doing a resource called Long Story Shorts, which over three years will take us on a journey through the Bible. And uh, they're young, and um, they fidget, and uh, they spill their cereal, and all of the normal things. But we want our kids to know, in this house, we open God's Word, and we center on it before you go to school, right? That's part of what we do here. And then uh, later in the day, I often read the Bible a little bit on my own as well and pray at the end, towards the end of the day and reflect on it. Before we put our kids to bed, we'll read a bit of the Bible with them. I'm reading through Philippians with my 11-year-old daughter. My nine-year-old son is actually trying to read the entire Bible, <laughs> which I, it, I actually discouraged him. I said, you'll never make it. But he's just, <laughs> I did. I said to him, you know, read some little story books. But he looked at me like, no, no, you start a book at the beginning, Dad, and, and you read from the beginning. So off he went, and he's just reached Romans, which is not bad, um, in just over a year, right? Now, now, look, they're all different. Our other kids would never do that. So they're all different, and don't, that's, not, that's not some kind of... It's, it's to say, it's open to everyone. So find your thing, and it might just be one of those things I've mentioned, or something else, but find your thing that says, in my life and in my family, we will center on God's word. Read it. Secondly, grasp it. Secondly, grasp it. We need to not only read the text, it's not an exercise in speed reading and impressing people with pub quiz knowledge about how many things you know about the Bible, right? The Bible is not information, 
It is to lead to transformation. So we not only need to read it, we've got to grasp it. What does this mean for my life? How am I going to apply it? And one of the things I was very concerned about when we put the Bible course together was I didn't just want it to be a kind of, here's amazing facts that I know about the Bible, aren't you impressed? It's like, no, no, how can we train people to grasp it for themselves? You know that old saying, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, but this is to teach people to fish, so you can feed yourself for a lifetime. And, and we found that's the, that's the game changer. Yeah. We don't want dependency relationships, right, where we have, to keep go, we have to keep reading someone else's blog or listen to someone else's podcast or read someone else's books. No, no, we want people to grasp the naked text of the Bible itself. Yeah. Not mediated through other people's voices all the time, but you can get it and grasp it. So the Bible course will really help you there, but there'll be other resources as well. The point is, read it and grasp it. It's, remember, it's not about IQ. <laughs> the Bible opens itself to those who humbly ask for help. And when the author, think about this, when the author is your roommate, that's pretty useful, right? <laughs> the Holy Spirit who inspired this text dwells within the believer. And I found that the Bible doesn't open to IQ. The Bible opens to those who have received the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit brings enlightenment, it's surprising how people who never thought they'd ever get anywhere in education in this world start making extraordinary discoveries in the Bible. I think of one guy, Danny, who came down to Cornwall, where I used to lead and plant churches. And uh, Danny was from London. He was a Cockney, and he was a cocaine addict, and he was very broken, and he'd never read books, right? And he came down to Cornwall, and to cut a long story short, he gave his life to Jesus Christ and quit the drugs and started to change. And I remember um, I said to Danny, rather ambitious and slightly naive in my young years, I said, let's read through Romans together, which if you know anything about Romans, it's, it's tough going. Well, anyway, I said to Danny, you read a chapter, and I'll meet with you once a week, and we'll you know, look at it together. I can remember turning up to meet with Danny, and he would start saying things that he'd understood from Romans. And I was like, where are you getting this from? <laughs> I honestly thought, I became very suspicious. I honestly thought that someone else was coming in and meeting with him and explaining things because his, his revelation was extraordinary. And he says, he says no, Andrew, I'm not being mean with anyone. But it's the Holy Spirit, right? When the author is your roommate, that's a pretty helpful combination. I spoke to Danny just a few months ago. Uh, we'd lost touch a little bit, and I was a bit concerned for him because he'd moved back to London. I was hoping he wasn't back in trouble, but I spoke to him, and, uh, and he said, I said, how are you doing, Danny? He says, I'm good, Andrew, I'm good. He's got a really thick Cockney accent. And I said, um, what, what have you been up to? And he says, uh, I have been studying presuppositional apologetics. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, but yeah, I mean... <laughs> It means he's going on with the Lord, and he's deep in God's Word, and he'd never read a book in his life before this, right? This is the book that changes people's lives when we let it. We've got to read it. I want to say to those of you who feel like the least, you can grasp it. There are opportunities, starting this week and other besides, that you can do this. But then you've got to obey it, number, th number three. Listen to what Josiah called the people to do. Having read it and grasped its meaning, finally they, it says this, the king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands and statutes and decrees with all his heart and his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. 
Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Notice then, it's not just that they read it and they grasped it, but they made a decision on that day, God, we will receive this as your holy word. These aren't just some human reflections that we can take or leave. When properly understood, and it does need to be interpreted and grasped, but when we've properly discerned the teachings of the Bible, they transcend human ideas. And they reveal to us the author, God, his will for our lives. And notice the connection between the word author and authority. That's a very important connection right there. I get all sorts of text messages on my phone, and depending on who they come from, the author, that depends on what I do with them, right? If I get another message from Vodafone, I I delete it immediately, but if one comes in from my wife, you know, I read it and often reply, (laughs) because uh, (laughs) because the author has authority in that relationship that I'm in with her, right? Well, in the same way, the Bible finally is a text message from God. And the author gives it an authority in our lives. And we have a choice to make. And this choice, I believe, is becoming starker in our cultural moment. Will we go the way of culture or will we go the way of Scripture? And once we've read it and grasped it and discerned it, we then have a decision to make. Lord, I submit and I put my life in alignment with your word. Because culture's going in a different direction on many things. When we decide, what what are my big ambitions in life going to be? Is it to make as much money and have as much prestige for myself as possible? We have a decision to make, right? What am I going to do on that? Am I going to go the way of scripture or the way of culture? We have a decision to make over our sexuality and how we will hold that tension of who we are in Christ in this fallen world. Am I going to go the way of culture or the way of scripture? Do you know, I believe increasingly that will become a choice we have to make. And for some of us, we may be wrestling with that choice today. Can I say to you, you can trust this book. It will guide you in a safe direction. I don't think culture really knows where it's going right now. I think it's exploring and experimenting, and there's a big price tag to that experiment. Broken lives, souls that are being evacuated of hope and meaning emptied and bled dry of something that's bigger than themselves in life. Our selfie culture is shriveling. And there's a lot of brokenness and pain and disillusionment and anger and jealousy. And all these things are the direction of travel for culture. And meanwhile, Scripture calls us in another direction. And we have a choice to make. I remember going on a mountain um, in thick mist and taking a, a compass bearing from the map and then pointing it and looking in the direction we need to go. And there was a white a patch of snow, a small patch of snow up ahead. And so we, we thought we'll head towards that patch of snow. And as we were on our way, the patch of snow got up and walked off. <laughs> it was a sheep, right? <laughs> it didn't know where it was going. And I'd just taken a bearing from it. Culture's doing that right now. Culture is experimenting, exploring, and it's no idea where it's going. And it's no idea what it's playing with. And meanwhile, we have in our hands the enduring, eternal, holy, life-giving Word of God. So we make a decision, like Josiah and the people did, God, we're going to center our lives on your Word. And this will do us and our family and our society good. And you know, here's the good news. When Josiah and the people of God centered their lives on God's Word, the whole nation began to change. And I believe God is calling His church back to His Word in the power of the Holy Spirit, not just for us, 
but that as we live out lives that have the wisdom and truth of God's word, a hurting and lost world will see the difference and will begin to turn back to the book that changes our world. Amen? Do you not think we could do with a fresh reformation of truth in our culture right now? It starts with God's people centering their lives on God's word. So I want to encourage you, watching online and all of us in the room, let's take this book that has changed the world. Let's let the lion loose and let it change our lives today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Would you like to stand? And as you stand, would you mind if you have something that relates to the Bible? It might be one of these, and you've got an app on your phone with the Bible on. Well, maybe open up the app, right? Turn your Bible on. <laughs> uh, or it may be that you've actually got one of these. Do you remember these? Uh, they're called books, and you may have one of these, um, so you can take hold of. But whatever, wherever you've got the Bible, or if not, just you know, hold, it, hold out your hand representing it. But I want to give us an opportunity, if we want to, today. And you may be exploring faith, and you're not ready to commit yourself to the teachings of the Bible, but maybe you're, maybe you're ready to just explore it, right? Maybe you could do the Bible course. Lots of people are doing it who are not signed up to the Bible, but they just want to explore it. So there's a way forward for you. But for those of us who are ready to say, no, I'm not just going to own one of these. I'm going to live it. I'm going to make it central in my life. I want to invite you just over your life and your challenges. You may be facing some real challenges right now. Over your life and your challenges, over your family and your kids and your grandkids, over your business and your opportunities in the world, just lift up the Word of God over those things. That's right. As a sign, turn your phones on. If, if they're on the Bible, turn it on so it shines. And lift up the Word of God over our lives. And we lift up the name of Jesus, the living Word. We thank you, Lord God, that you have given us this book that has changed our world and is changing our world. And we lift it up over our lives and our families right now. And firstly, Lord, we tear our clothes, spiritually speaking, where we have allowed this to become backstage and we've drifted away from your word. We just spiritually, we want to tear our clothes in a sign of repentance and say, Lord, we're sorry for being distracted and drifting. And today we lift up your word to say we are recentering our lives on the Bible. We're going to put it back at the center. And I just want to invite you, what does that mean for you? Get practical now with God. This is a practical book and we need to get practical with it. What are you going to do differently this week to set up this new term centered on God's word? Is there a new discipline? Don't get complicated now and try and choose five things. One thing, one simple 10, 15 minute discipline you're going to build into your week that's going to be a statement of intent. I'm not going to waste my life on media and consumption. I'm going to be a person of the word. So I lift up the name of Jesus, Lord, over every decision being made now. Would you seal in our hearts that determination? And we lift up the word, Lord, over our challenges, over our families over our communities and we say Lord let your word move in power let what's dead come to life let your word Lord bring life into our families where there's division and broken relationships may we gather again around your word and prayer and find that it restores and makes us whole where we lack provision 
We pray that as we center on your word, you'd be good to us and faithful, Lord, and bring in what we need. We pray, Lord, for our society, that we would be agents of change who, are, who live from a different source and who therefore demonstrate a new way of being human in the world, the way of the truth and the way of your word. In Jesus' name. And I want to speak over this wonderful church, C3, and I pray, Lord, that this would be a church that as word and spirit combine, it would be a church in which life flourishes out into this community and into the nations. I had a picture as I was praying for you as a church and I saw a very ancient looking, beautifully carved wooden chest, like a sort of treasure chest. And as someone went up to this chest and opened it, inside this ancient chest, it was glowing with technology. There were gadgets and all kinds of devices shining inside this ancient tech box. And I felt the Lord say to me that this will be a church where the ancient truths of God's word get expressed in the most cutting edge forms of technology. And you're gonna help rediscover God's word in the digital age. God's gonna put gifts in some of you for digital innovation. But the thing you're gonna get passionate about is how can we digitally innovate the Bible for our culture? The treasure chest of God's word, these ancient truths, may they shine and come alive and turn on through C3, not just in this city, but in this continent and for this world, in Jesus' name, amen.